You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. Hi, I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm at the Northeast Lipid Association meetings in Philadelphia at the Lowe's Hotel. And I had a chance to sit down with Dr. David Nash, who is the Dr. Raymond C. and Doris N. Grandin Professor of Health Policy and Chairman of the Department of Health Policy at Jefferson Medical College of Thomas Jefferson University. Dr. Nash is a national leader in healthcare quality and improvement and has been internationally recognized in this field. We're going to talk a little bit about cognitive impairment from statins. Dr. Nash, what, what have we learned from the Italians or the people living in Mediterranean countries about diet and cognition? We've learned a great deal. There is an impending epidemic of cognitive decline coming to this country, and interestingly enough, in developing nations such as China. For example, there are about 5 million people with Alzheimer's disease in the United States today. Within one generation, there'll be 20 million. That's almost half the number who are known to be demented throughout the world. So what do you think, what do you think, what do you think the cause is? Why why the the doubling? Well, we know. If you walk through any major urban area, you will find that the people you see have two characteristics. One is America is getting older, that people are older. And the second is Americans are getting fatter. I know that fatter is a derisive term, so I will say obese. In fact, we weigh too much. And despite all the ads on television, the reality is you are what you eat. If you eat more calories than you burn, you become obese. And there is no magic in losing weight. About two years ago, I wrote a paper published in the American Journal of Cardiology on the role of cardiovascular disease risk factors and cognitive impairment. Now, cognitive impairment is a fancy word, but what it really means is memory loss or the inability to do the kinds of intellectual functions that we all require on a day-to-day purpose. Now, you can measure this very simply, in fact, in any doctor's office, in fact, in your own home. For example, there's something called the mini mental status exam, and it involves a number of minor non-invasive techniques. There's a very easy one that your listeners can do if they're honest. And that is, without paper or pencil, they take the number 100 and subtract 7. Then they do it again from the remainder. They do that five times. They should wind up with 65. If they can do that within a minute, that's a normal test. Now, there are people who say, but I'm not a good mathematician. And so we have developed another test, which is not arithmetical at all. And that is, quickly, without writing it down, spell the word world backwards. Backwards. Those two would give you a very interesting look at whether you have any memory impairment at all. Now, there are the more complicated tests. Now, if you're interested in the basis of this, the Nobel Prize was recently won by Dr. Eric Cantor, who examined younger animals, younger in the evolutionary chain, that is, And he wanted to see how you could measure memory. And he chose a very interesting animal which your listeners would be interested in. The name of the animal is Aplesia. And it is a marine snail that's a giant. 
By giant, I don't mean the kinds of snails you see in a restaurant. I mean this snail is a foot tall, weighs several pounds. But the fascinating thing about aplegia is that this snail has only 20,000 cells in its brain. A mammalian brain, yours or mine, has hundreds of billions. So Cantor was able to identify individual cells, because the cells would be larger since there's only 20,000 of them. And he was able to make some impact on memory. Now, the important things that we can summarize is that we know now what affects memories both poorly and in terms of improvement. For example, if you have high blood pressure, you are likely to have some cognitive impairment as you get older. The good news is, when you control the blood pressure, there is less cognitive impairment. We know that people who are obese have an increased risk of both diabetes and insulin resistance, which means your body doesn't handle sugar well. But if you are on a weight-losing program successfully, in fact, you have less cognitive impairment. Now, we know there was a very good study done called Women Who Walk, and they took older women, and they were really looking at bone density. But fortuitously, they did cognitive testing like the many mental status examination. Before they got started and followed these women, they found that the women who were most active, in fact, did not have as much cognitive impairment. Now, there are some prospectively designed studies that have been done. One is called CAME, K-A-M-E. That looked at Japanese-Americans and had these people both examined at baseline for cognition and asked each of them to provide a several days diet diary. So everything they ate, they wrote down. Over a period of several years, they found a number of people who became demented, primarily Alzheimer's disease. And they were able to go back over the records and find if you ate more fruits and vegetables, something your mother told you when you were 11 years old, in fact, you were less likely to get demented. Now, there was a Chicago study of the aged which looked at people getting older, since we all do unless we don't survive, and in the Chicago study, they measured prospectively cognitive changes or cognitive bases, and over a period of years, they found that those subjects who ate fish meals at least three times a week had a statistically significant reduction in the risk of cognition. All of these are very powerful. Uh, so since we're at a, a lipid meeting, mm-hmm. there's been recent reports in the literature, or actually in the media, about statins affecting brain function, cognition. Uh, there was a book written called Lipitor, the Thief of Memory. What would you tell your patients that are concerned about losing their mind if they go on a statin? This is a very unfortunate development, which I'm familiar with. There's one investigator, a woman in California, no names are required, who has had the feeling that statins are bad and has written a great deal and has, for whatever reason, been able to acquire a great deal of support in terms of funding. In fact, memory loss on statins is infrequent. It does occur. 
there are people who seem to feel worse on a statin, you stop the statin, and they feel, quote, better. Actual memory measurements of this loss have not been all that frequent. In addition, we now know that if you start out with a high cholesterol, you are more likely to develop dementia. If you have elevated saturated fat in your diet, you're more likely to have dementia. The possibility of creating dementia with a satin drug has not been proven to anybody's satisfaction, including the people who are against using statins. Now, statins have been used about 40 million people in the world and probably 10 or 12 million in the United States. I don't know the exact number because it varies. And in fact, the number of people who've been aided by statins is so much greater than the individuals who experience a true difficulty. You can get a rash from a statin. Certainly, you should not persist. If you find that you're taking a statin drug and you feel a sense of either memory loss or confusion, by all means, contact your own physician hopefully stop the drug under his or her advice, and another type of lipid-lowering drug could be used, which have no such evidence. I was privileged to be part of the research team of many of the previously used drugs, which are still available, such as resins, which have no intellectual function abnormalities that I know of. Niacin is not known to cause confusion at all, although it can cause a sense of warmth or hot flash. You're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD, XM157. I'm sitting with Dr. David Nash at the Northeast Lipid Association meetings at the Lowe's Hotel in Philadelphia, and we're talking about lipids and cognition. Dr. Nash, Tell us a little bit about APOE and if it's worth doing testing in patients to see if they actually have this gene and and whether or not that actually will translate into them developing Alzheimer's disease. That's a good question. APOE is a protein involved with cholesterol metabolism, and there are a number of different APOEs, APOE2, APOE3, APOE4. It turns out you get one copy of the APOE for gene, if you get it, from your mother and another from your father. You may get one E2 and one E3, in which case your risks of cognitive decline are modest and no more than the normal population. Now, E4 is a very interesting gene, and it does increase your risk for having Alzheimer's. Now, it turns out that you can measure the amount of E4 But right now, there's not a single drug that I could honestly recommend to reduce your risk of cognitive decline. So testing it would be like testing somebody for Huntington's disease, which if you have the gene, you're going to have a terrible life and death. And I, I don't think that that's useful for the patient unless you're concerned about reproducing, for example. Dr. Nash, what good is it to know your APO, if you are APOE4 homozygous, it's kind of like a death sentence. I'd rather not know that. Well, I don't think that it's a death sentence, although I'm glad you brought up the question about death, because it turns out that EPOE4 has an increased risk of dying, particularly if you have Down syndrome. And so Down syndrome people have a higher risk of having Alzheimer's disease. However, if they have E4, they also have an increased risk of dying prematurely. So if you have APOE4 negative, 
and Down syndrome. You may get Alzheimer's, but you don't die prematurely proportional to the other people. Now, the interesting about Apple E4 as compared to Apple E2 and E3, there is a stepwise increase in cholesterol. That is, Apple E2 has a lower LDL, or bad cholesterol, than Apple E3, and Apple E3 is lower than Apple E4. And the reverse is true for HDL, the good cholesterol. Apple E2 has a higher HDL than Apple E3, and Apple E4 has the lowest of all of the Apple E isoforms. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. David B. Nash from Jefferson Medical College of Thomas Jefferson University for joining me today on Lipid Luminations. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.